0: We've begun a series of messages here at Beach Haven called Powerful Word, How Your Bible Changes Everything. And uh, this week, because of our uh, sports theme, I uh, recalled that at one time I had some baseball cards. And I used to have comic books. And now I can't find them anywhere. Uh, Some of you who have looked on eBay lately, uh, especially these things, will understand just how valuable some of those can be. Uh, One Baptist preacher I know started collecting baseball cards in 1948, and he had Mickey Mantle's rookie card, first edition. I looked on eBay this week, and it's today worth $300,000. You know, my thought is, um, that's a good down payment on a private plane. That is. Now, there's a preacher in Louisiana that's asking viewers to raise for him, uh, what, $60 million for a private plane. I think in our deacons meeting next time, we need to have that discussion around here. I think so. Do you know how difficult it is to drive from Bogart into the church? It's terrible. Now, of course, the best thing that will come out of that is probably a used bicycle from a pawn shop. But um, in any case, I I think that would be a wonderful discussion. $300,000 for that memorabilia. Um then uh, he went on to confess that in 1965, he had a 1965 Mustang and sold it a few years later for $400. It is worth now 10 times more than that, uh, perhaps even more than that. And he went on to comment about a problem that I actually have, and that is... He, sold, he, he didn't keep hold of these things because he has a hard time telling the difference between treasure and trash. You know, a lot of times we have a difficulty telling the difference between treasure and trash, and Paul addresses that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, what we're going to look at this morning. A difference between treasure and And trash. So often we're willing to clutch things that really, in the end, aren't worth very much and discard things that are worth everything. Now, in this text in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it really references back to chapter 1, and uh, I want to show you some things that could possibly, in the view of some, be trash. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, therefore. Now, you know enough about Bible study that when you see a therefore in the Bible, you do what? You see what it's there for. It's a transition word and it points to the previous chapter. And Paul is saying, because of chapter one, I want you now to do chapter two. Well, in chapter one, he's correcting some false doctrine. And that's what he talks about in verse three and verse number 18. In fact, he says, don't fight just any fight, but fight the good fight with good motives, good objectives, good weapons. and and we need to put fight in quotations because he's not talking about an actual military conflict. He's talking about a spiritual battle. Well, to some people, correcting false ideas is trash. They'd say, don't you realize you live in the 21st century? But let me make one thing perfectly clear. You've got to understand that whether you and I make it to heaven depends on what we believe. Whether we trust Christ or not, and not everything is acceptable to God. And so, therefore, there is some correction that pastors and Bible teachers have got to engage in. Now, they should always be Christ-like. They shouldn't have the personality of an atomic bomb. I understand that. But there is a need for that. And no matter if the world thinks that's trash, really, to God, it's treasure. Then he goes on to say, I want you to pray for all and for kings and all who are in authority. Some people might think, well, That's trash. Because there's some people in authority in Washington I don't like. And you're asking me to pray for them? And then their neighbors and people in my family, I don't really want to pray for them. That could be received as trash. And and then it goes on in verse number 5 to say Jesus is the only mediator between us and God. He's the only way. Much of our culture would push back on that and say, well, all the religions are the way to God. In other words, there's some things in this text that some people might consider trash, but to God, they are treasure. They are treasure. And we've got to tell the difference. And the question I want to ask and answer for a few minutes this morning is, what is it that God thinks is treasure? Well, it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And please never, ever, ever forget the Heavenly Father's intense, intense, undying love for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God's number one priority, not you and me. He loves us, but he loves Jesus with the greatest love that could ever be known. His priority is Jesus Christ. And the extent to which we're blessed and the extent to which we enjoy the next life depends on what we do with Jesus Christ. And so there's some things about Christ that God the Father treasures. And the first one is this. He treasures Christ's renovation of beliefs. Now again, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, therefore, and that points back to chapter 1. Because of what I've said in chapter 1, I want you to do chapter 2. And there's some bookends in chapter 1 that make it real clear what he's talking about here. Chapter 1, verse 3 is one bookend. And chapter 1, verse 18 is another bookend. He says, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some not to teach, uh, they, they may teach no other doctrine. In other words, with authority and with intensity, Timothy, I want you to charge some there in the church not to teach any other doctrine than what is found in the Word of God. Then, verse 18, he uses different terms, but it's, it, it's a bookend nevertheless. Uh, The same meaning in verse 18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Authoritatively, intensely, and strategically, I want you to battle false doctrine. Did you know that God is to be Lord of the mind? And God has the right to tell us what to think and what to believe. Now, there's some people in our lives we should trust but yielding up that authority to determine what we think and believe is really the sole uh, territory of God Almighty. And God appreciates, God treasures, God values, God treasures the great work of renovation that Jesus Christ does when he gets hold of a life and a mind. And that is the greatest challenge before us Today, Jesus Christ has a right then to determine what we believe about sin and behavior. Jesus Christ has a right to determine what we believe about salvation, what we're to believe about our approach to the Bible, our relationships with others, the things that we're to value, how we spend. Every area of human reality falls under the purview of Jesus Christ. He is Lord, and God the Father enjoys every bit of it. That's where his heart is. And so the first thing that he treasures is Christ's renovation of our beliefs. And so therefore, in order to follow Jesus Christ, you've got to understand, and you may not now be a follower of Christ. You may be considering it. Let me make it real clear up front, and this is going to be the worst sales job you've ever heard. I I, I promise. If you're in sales, I'm going to drive you batty because I'm about to make the worst sales job you have ever heard. If you come to Jesus Christ, you need to know He's going to spend the rest of your life on this earth changing you. He's going to spend the rest of your life correcting you, and you're going in order, in order to follow Christ, in order to have integrity. You're going to have to be eager for Jesus to correct you. Now, at Beach Haven, we give our folks a lot of opportunities to do that, and we're going to do so uh, through the years. And so this fall. We're going to encourage all of our folks to be in discipleship training Sunday nights and on Wednesday nights. We've got something starting uh, this month, in fact, on Sunday nights that you see in your worship guide. And and then also we've got, uh, for those available, Bible studies on Tuesday morning for ladies. But we want every member to be involved in discipleship training Sunday night and Wednesday night. Then we start new Sunday school classes. That's a strong commitment of ours. It's the number one predictor of reaching people for Christ and that is starting new Sunday school classes. Taking and reviewing sermon notes, because frankly, probably most people don't remember what I said last week, and we're going to be held accountable for it. Uh, And then leading family devotions. Make sure every time your family's together at home, somebody leads a devotion. And then let's give away some Bibles as well. June 25th through the 30th, Lifeway has given us that week at our local LifeWay store on the Oconee Connector for us, for us all to go pick up a free Bible and give it to someone who does not have a Bible, and we'll make coupons available to you for that. Why do we do this? Because it is very important as a sincere follower of Jesus Christ to be eager for Christ to correct us, and He does that by His Word, and God treasures that. But there's a second thing. Not only His uh, renovation of beliefs, but also His reach of prayer. His reach of prayer. Look, look what verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 say. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That we may do that. I want you to consider several things about prayer here in this text and just how far Jesus Christ can reach through prayer. Uh, look, Look at the priority of prayer. Because there's so much false thinking in the world, let's commit it to prayer. Let's answer it with prayer. Not just the correction of verse 3 and 18 of chapter 1, but also a vigorous and robust and growing prayer life. Let's do that. And He says, let's do this first of all. It's a priority. Jess Henley was an Atlanta evangelist years ago until he passed away. I I think Jess Henley passed away about 20 years ago, but Dr. Henley sort of retired, and he was uh, at the age of 83, and uh, he had a, a, a condominium, and he still traveled and preached some, and he had some folks that would look after him, especially after his wife passed away. Well, one day, the ladies in his office gave a friend of mine, Danny Waters, a phone call and saying, Danny, we've not heard from Dr. Henley in several days. We've gone by his condominium and his car is still in the same place. And Danny thought the worst. And so he drove on by Dr. Henley's condominium. He found the car there just as the ladies in the office said. And he went up to the door and he knocked. He called first, but then he knocked. He didn't get an answer. He knocked. He didn't get an answer then. He had a key to Dr. Henley's um, uh, condominium. And so he put it in the deadbolt and opened it. And he heard from the other side of the door, who's that? And Danny said, Dr. Henley? He said, yes. He said, it's Danny Waters. He said, what do you want? He said, can you come to the door? And Dr. Henley came to the door. And when he came to the door, he was in very casual clothing. He had several days of a beard on his face. And Danny said, Dr. Henley, the ladies in the office haven't heard from you. And we we got worried. He said, well, you just tell the ladies in the office that I'm spending time with the Lord, and I'm praying, and when I'm done, I'll contact them. He said, Dr. Henley, how much time have you been spending with the Lord? He said, what day is it? He said, it's Thursday. He said, I started Sunday night. Dr. Henley, at 83, was still on his face before God, seeking God with all of his heart, pleading with God for power for his life and for his ministry. In other words, you, you can measure many people's prayer life with a watch and time the minutes they spend in prayer. Dr. Henley needed a calendar, is what he needed. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a priority. Can I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, you never waste time when you seek God's face in prayer? It's a priority. But that's not all. He said, first of all, it's a priority. But then look at the, look at the parts supplications. That means I come to God with a great sense of need. Prayers. Uh, The basis of that word is surrender, being prostrate before God. And Then intercessions. That means I've got confidence that God can take care of the need. And Then the giving of thanks. That means even before he answers the prayer, I give him thanks because he's heard me and somehow or another, God is going to come through. He's worthy of thanks. These are the parts. Cover them all. But then That's not all. Here are the possibilities. Uh, Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all. Be made for all. Warren Wiersbe said, no one is beyond the reach of believing prayer. No one at all. And he goes on to say, for kings and all who are in authority. Hey, let me ask you something about all and kings and those who who are in authority. Is there anyone in your neighborhood that annoys you? It is, uh, Mary, Mary, keep your hand down. Don't raise your hand, darling. That, that's a rhetorical question. I don't need y'all to answer or provide any names, okay? Uh, let me ask you. Is there anyone in your family that annoys you, annoys you? Is there anyone in Washington that annoys you? Have you ever thought about praying about it? Do you know? All of those are within the reach of prayer offered to God by faith. You can change the world by seeking the face of God, much like Jess Henley did and the examples in the Bible. Well, look at the purpose of prayer. Look, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Ladies and gentlemen, America is not quiet and peaceable right now. And the world is worse. Do you think that that could have something to do with a lack of prayer? I mean, we want to look to administration and promotion and advertising, and in their place, those are good things, but those are supplemental, but they're not substitutes for seeking seeking God on your face. Could it be that the trouble and difficulties we experience in these days are the result of a lack of prayer? That's the purpose. Uh, One mission leader said, much prayer much power, no prayer, no power. We can make a difference through our prayers. And and then look at the platform of prayer. Look what he says. This kind of praying for all is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. God is pleased with this. This is, is, is in His will. And one of the ways to really make a difference in prayer is to pray and ask God to do those things He's already in favor of doing. And you learn that from the Bible. Samuel Cox said, the only thing that lies outside the reach of prayer is that which is outside the will of God. Everything else is within the reach of prayer. If you will pray in the will of God, God promises he is going to hear. In fact, he certified that and authorized that faith through his son Jesus when he said, ask it shall be given, seek you shall find, knock the door shall be opened to you. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your father give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, ask him. So the only thing that lies outside the reach of your prayers is that which is outside the will of God. Find out what the will of God is, what God wants, and pray for that. And we just read a bunch of things right there in chapter 1 and chapter 2. And that's why you need to know the Bible. That's why on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights you need to be involved in discipleship training. That's why we need to start new Sunday school classes. That's why we need to take and review sermon notes. That's why Uh, we need uh, to give away bibles that's why uh, as well we need to leave family devotions so that our people will know how to pray so your people will know how to pray to know the bible is to know how to pray and god rejoices in that because christ can reach many that way And, and so renovation of beliefs and reach of prayer but there's a third thing and that is redemption of souls let me ask you have you ever had to pay somebody's bills i mean they came hapless they're down on a hard time and you came through and paid their bills for them. Uh, have you ever had to bail anybody out of jail? I've not had to do that. But that's the background of this last section in this text. Uh, in the first century, there were some people that would get into debt and they would sell themselves into service to someone that was wealthy and they would pay their bills. And to get out of that, someone, uh, to get out of that servitude relationship, somebody might pay for them to get out of it. And that process was called redemption, and the price was a ransom. Usually we think of a ransom as being uh, a price you pay to release somebody from kidnapping, and that's legitimate. But in this case, it was usually uh, a matter of slavery or servitude. And, and, and then uh, there were times when people would be in trouble with the law in the first century, and they would owe a fine to the court, and someone would come pay. That process is redemption, and the price that was paid is called a ransom. Uh, So slavery and debt and being in trouble with the law were three circumstances that required redemption, and the price that was paid was called a ransom. Now, with that in mind, look at verse number four. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, and here's why. They've got to know the truth, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a what? a ransom for all to be testified in due time. For which, Paul says, I was appointed, and we could say this about churches now, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith. In verse 4, God wants to redeem. God desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the pulsating desire of the heart of God. And, And it comes as no surprise to you to hear that. Of course not, does it? No, because you see what he did with Jesus Christ on the cross. God the Father gave his son Jesus to die in our place. Does that not say something about his heart and his desire? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, do you know what you could do with that? In any place the Bible says all and whoever, I mean, who's not a whoever? Everyone's a whoever. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a whoever. Now look at your other neighbor and say, I'm a whoever. And, and we could call this place Whoville or Whoeverville. And, and, and so everyone is, everyone is a Whoever. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to make the most startling and stunning and most surprising and brilliant announcement in the whole world, and I want everybody to hear it. Everybody here, everybody in hell, every angel watching and viewing this service, and all the saints above, if it's possible, God loves everyone. God wants to do this, but in addition to that, God is prepared to do it in verse number 5. Look there. There was one God and one mediator between God and men. The only way for this to happen is for us to come through Jesus Christ. You say that's narrow. You Baptists are so narrow, you think you're the only people going to heaven. i got to admit, we're more narrow-minded than that because we don't think all the Baptists are going. (laughs) Hey, I know these jokers. I've been with them a long, long time, and I'm pretty worried. But Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Peter preached in Acts four twelve, there is salvation in no other name for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. That's his word, not mine. And and, and the the thing that you need to focus on is not the narrowness of it, but the provision. God is perfect. Listen, Christ is slain. Therefore, God is perfectly prepared to cancel all your sins and purchase you out of bondage and debt and guilt before his court. Entirely prepared. So he wants to. He's prepared to. But that's not all. He is offered to. Verse 6 says that Christ gave himself a ransom to all. Jesus' life was not taken from him. He volunteered it. Christ was given as a ransom. He gave himself as a ransom. He is that price, and there's none other given by God, but it is given because he loves us. And so he has arranged to, but that's not all. Uh, He's offered to, and then he's arranged to, verse 7, he's appointed preachers and apostles or missionaries to communicate this. And he's put together churches to tell the whole world about that. And this particular church spends a whole lot of money getting this around the world. Last year, 25% of our budget went to missions around the world, one way or the other. All the missions ministries that we're doing, and there's no one here complaining about it, and we wish we could do more. And so that's why God has put churches together. And, And the truth is, is that now there is actually an institution... And a group of people charged with telling the good news around the world, and this is it. We're not the best, but we're what God has got. And somehow or another, He has determined, for some reason or another, He has determined that we are the ones that communicated, and thank God. Listen, you've got to understand, we're, we're not better than anybody. We sure are not superior. All we are are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Or criminals trying to tell you how God will pull off a jailbreak and get you out of the prison house of sin and bondage and debt to his court. And you do that by coming to Christ. God loves to do this. This is what he treasures. Now I want you to notice here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, all the large words that are here. Oh, and this is the most hopeful thing you're going to hear all day unless you read another part of the Bible. Look. Chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks, be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed and a preacher and an apostle. Did you see all the large words here? Over and over again, all. Perhaps your translation may say everything or everyone. There's no mistaking it here. These are large words. There's only one way to God, but he's for the whole earth and every breathing human being. In other words, the blood and the death of Jesus Christ is enough to purchase and liberate every believer from sin and bondage and debt and guilt before God. There is no one here that has to be hopeless before God. God has provided through Jesus Christ. He's done everything necessary. Now it's your move. One day after church, we went into the back parking lot, and my daughter's tire had gone flat. Uh, There was a nail in it. And somehow or another, she drove it for a couple of weeks uh, before it finally went entirely flat. We got back there. And when we arrived at the tire, there was absolutely no hope for that tire to change itself. And I was in a suit. I wasn't changing it. So we called our uh, roadside assistance, and within a few minutes, a fellow came out and changed it. Before God right now, because of your sin, you're flat before God, and you can't change yourself. There has to be outside intervention and do you know Jesus Christ is willing to do that right now? John 1.12 says, To as many as, he, as received Him, gave He the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on His name. Your whole status can change. Before God in His court, He could declare you innocent today. And His relationship with you would transform from being a judge to being a father. And on the spot, after He declares you not guilty... He goes into the next court proceeding and adopts you and carries you home with Him. And you get to walk with Him as if you belong with Him because when you come to Christ, you do. You become His. To as many, listen again, to as many as received Him, gave He the right to become the children of God, even those that believe on His name. If you're willing to entrust yourself to Jesus Christ today, he will make a difference in you and change, change that relationship. So let's talk to God about it. Would, uh, would you uh, help me please? Let's, let's uh, Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's talk to God about this. And you may be a boy, you may be a girl, a man, a woman, a student. You can come to Christ today and you can say yes to Him.